Today's Bible reading is from Matthew chapter 7, starting at verse 13 and going through to verse 23. It can be found in your leaflets in the church Bibles, or you can follow it along on the screen. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognise them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into, a, into the fire. Thus, by their fruit you will recognise them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Paul's kind of raised the bar a bit for us, hasn't he, this morning? I'm also going to take a lesson that, uh, just one question, we aim for about two to three minutes. Uh, I think, Paul, you've stretched the boundaries there a little bit, so I'm going to use an exact proportion with my sermon. Um, (laughs) So I imagine you're going to be here at about two two o'clock this afternoon. Anyway, now, we thought just to keep you guys on target this morning, we're going to start with a riddle. Now, I know some of you just can't resist yourselves You may have heard the riddle, I need those of you who know the answer to restrain yourself, okay? Play dumb, you don't know the answer, okay? Just listen to the person next to you as they're trying to explore what it is, and there's a reward, you see, I've been plundering Kez's supply of chocolate, Uh, there is a reward for someone who did not previously know the answer, that is it, yes, Lorinda, but this is a really special, um, you know... I don't know. It's, it's chocolate. What's not to love about chocolate? You know. Okay. Oh. I could say all sorts of things now, but I'm not going to. Okay. Here is the riddle. There are two identical doors. One leads to death and the other to freedom. There are two guards in front of the doors... One of those guards will always lie to you. The other one will always tell you the truth. You can only ask one guard one question. So what is the one question? Yes, and you can't get three answers, unlike Paul. (laughs) What is the one question to get the one answer that you can ask to guarantee that you will choose the right door to freedom? Okay? You've got about a minute, so go for it. There's chocolate on the line. See if any of if 11 o'clock is smarter than 9 o'clock. Anyone who didn't already know the answer, have you worked it out? Ken knows the answer, though. Oh, what, what would your answer be, Ken? Is it true the other one's a liar? But how's that going to identify a door? But you can't identify the door with the guard, necessarily. So, so the, the, the lying guard is not standing in front of the door to death. 
And, no, no, they're just random guards. They might be standing, they might be sitting down even on the floor. Let me tell you how to do it. And I'm going to have the chocolate myself. <laughs> Unless someone else is actually... Yeah, Michelle? So, you ask one guard, if I ask the other guard, would you draw these lines, what would you say? Okay, so you ask, say, the true guard, if the lying guard would say, does this door lead to life? And if it was, you don't know which one's which, do you? No. So does that work? It's very close. It's very close. It, yeah. Yeah. Well, you can have the chocolate, Michelle, for trying. But, but, uh, what, you, what, what the answer is, is you say, uh, which, guard, which door would the other guard tell me? Okay? And so the lying guard will tell you the bad door because the good guard would tell you the... So he's telling you a lie. But the good guard, knowing that the other guard is the lying guard, will tell you that the lying guard will tell you the bad door anyway. So you know which one's the bad door, so you choose the other one. So that's the answer for you. You can puzzle that one out. Read it along with the vision document and think, think that through. Yeah, you got that? You know, you don't know which one's which, doesn't, but it doesn't matter. But it doesn't matter because they're both going to tell you the identity of the bad door. Um, one by lying about it, one by telling the truth, but they're both going to identify the bad door. But choices matter, don't they? Choices matter. Neo found this out as he sat with Morpheus in the Matrix, didn't he? And he was offered the choice between the red pill that was going to open his life and change his, his entire life or the blue pill that was going to put him back to sleep and plug him back into the Matrix. Choices matter. Like the choice that the coffee affectionados amongst you agonize about, you know, will I have a flat white or a latte? <laughs> They're the same thing. Coffee with milk in them, okay? Some choices though, unlike the coffee choice, some choices actually really do matter. Some choices determine eternity. Jesus has been unpacking the life of the kingdom in the Sermon on the Mount, and we've been unpacking his unpacking of the life of the kingdom in the Sermon on the Mount over the last 13 weeks, okay? We've been going through it, and Jesus has been presenting to us this incredible life, this beautiful life, this life that is radically different to the ordinary life, a life that is actually shaped on the very nature and character of God. Matthew 5, 28, uh, 48, actually, Jesus says, be perfect, this is the life that he's calling us to live, as your heavenly Father is perfect. He's giving us a life that is shaped around God's nature, our designer, this is the life that he designed. And at the end of the sermon, and we are right at the end of the sermon, one more sermon on the sermon next week, but we're right at the conclusion. Jesus offers us a choice, but unlike the riddle, this is not a riddle. This is a choice between two options, and he tells us categorically which option is the right option. And so we're going to explore this choice under four points. Enter the gate, walk the road, keep to the path, and knowing and being known by Jesus. So 
enter the gate. Jesus offers us choices all the way through this passage, and the bit before it and the bit after it, you're going to see this presentation of options. Okay, here there are two gates. One is a narrow gate, and one is a broad, beautiful gate. Those two gates, that narrow gate and the broad gate, they lead to two roads that lead to two radically different destinations. Choices, gates, roads, destinations. Jesus says, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. So you get it? Broad gate, wide road, destruction. Narrow gate, narrow road, life. Jesus tells us, choose the narrow gate. It's a narrow gate. Few find it, but that's the one you want. That is the gate that you want. So we're left thinking, well, what's it actually mean to choose the narrow gate? Because obviously Jesus is presenting a word picture here. He's actually presenting an image and he expects us to understand it. It's a gate that leads to a road that leads to life. And he says, make sure you choose that one. The gate represents a decision. Whether you choose the wide one or the narrow one, it represents a choice. And ultimately, as someone chooses the narrow gate, they are choosing to enter the kingdom of God. They are choosing to put their faith, to give their loyalty to the king of God's kingdom, the Lord Jesus himself. If you like fancy words, it's not really a fancy word. The gate is, choosing the narrow gate is conversion. That's becoming a Christian. That's coming to Christ, to use the kind of jargon that we use all the time. That is putting your trust, giving your allegiance to Christ as king. As you walk in, you only go through the gate once. It's the beginning of our life on the road that leads to life. How do you enter? Jesus tells us. In chapter 4, verse 17, he announces that the kingdom of God has come near. How do we enter? He tells us through repentance. If you go to another one of the accounts of Jesus' life and ministry, you'll see that in some of them they'll say repent, and some of them they'll say repent and believe. They're really two sides of the same thing. Because repentance is turning away from the false kings, from the false gods, from the things that you put in God's place. And faith is turning towards God, turning to put your faith in Him. So one is a rejection and one is an acceptance. One is a turning away and the other one is a turning towards. And Jesus says to go through that narrow gate, Jesus tells us is a process of rejecting every other God, every other king, and putting your faith in him, giving your loyalty to him. And it's not a secret, but he tells us that only a few will find it. It's not a secret, but only a few will find it. Well, why? If it's a gate that leads to life, why are there only a few people on it? 
Because our basic nature, our essential humanity that is in rebellion against God, is blind to that gate. It's kind of like being red-green colourblind. Okay? I love this T-shirt. I might be colourblind, but I know I look good in green. It's fantastic. And if you are colourblind this morning, you will see an amorphous circle. You won't see the 74 that's there in the middle. So maybe you've just worked out that you're colourblind here this morning. But we're not colourblind, but we're spiritually colourblind. Sin in us means that we will pass over the narrow gate every time. And here we have the Lord Jesus in his grace and mercy pointing it out and saying, this is the gate that you want to go into. It's a work of his grace that we can even see it at all. He calls us to enter it and he calls us then to walk the narrow road. Because again, we've got two options. We can walk the wide road. It's a comfy road. It fits loads of people. Or we, can for, or we can walk the narrow road, much tighter, much more constrained. A hard road, walked only by a few. And this is the life, the life that flows from the decision. Walking through the wide gate down the easy road, that's a life that flows from a decision to choose not to have God as king, to choose not to serve Christ as Lord, not to put your faith in him, just to continue on your merry way, where the narrow gate and the road that comes from it, the road is the life of the disciple, the life of the citizen, the life of the person who has put their trust in Christ. And Jesus tells us it's a narrow road. It's a hard road. You might look at it and go, well, that doesn't sound a lot of fun. Is, is being a Christian just kind of gritting your teeth, putting up with a lot of rubbish until you get to the end? You know, if you just hold out for long enough, uh, when I get to the end, it'll all be okay. Well, from one side of the gate, that's what it can look like. But if you talk to someone this morning, and maybe, you know, a lot of you are Christian people, I'm sure you'll echo what a famous Christian writer said once. He said that as you go through that gate, you effectively begin to see that you've given up something that you could never keep to gain something that you could never lose. Jesus, in his own words, said, you know, what does it profit a person to get the whole world and sacrifice their very soul, their life, their being? But it's the one who lays down their life for him who will keep it. And so that is the the delicious irony, really, of the Christian life, that as we go through the narrow gate and walk the hard road, it is a life, it is a road that leads to life. But it is a narrow road. It's a life of obedience. It's a life, he calls us to, a life of submission. Because it's a life following King Jesus. It's a life learning from your teacher, from your master, Jesus. And if you want to walk this road, you've got to stay on the path. Some of you will know I kind of like hiking. This is from one of my more recent hikes. It's down in Tassie. And if you've climbed Mount Ossa, the highest peak uh, down there, I've tried twice and I've failed twice, can I say? Um, you really do need to keep to the path. 
Because as you get to the top and you're clambering up over the scree slopes, dodging all the snow and all the other stuff that's up there, if you don't keep to the path, very easy to get lost and people die most years. Very important to stay on the path. Jesus here is saying, if you're going to walk the path to life, it's a narrow path, you have to stay on it. And the destination is really important. If you like the comfy road, it's got a destination. It's called hell. Jesus says more about hell than anyone else. Story about growing up. My, um, one of my members of my family, because he may listen to this, Andrew, and find out that I've identified him, um, I found out later on in my life that um, he was cultivating marijuana in our backyard. He told mum that it was tomatoes. <laughs> my mum, who was a wonderful gardener, I don't know what kind of tomatoes she thought they, they, that she thought they were. Um, but I wonder you would imagine that um, maybe uh, I'd discovered that my brother, I was completely ignorant about this for a long, long time, um, like many things, really. Um, I'd, I'd found out that my brother, imagined that I'd found out that he was cultivating marijuana. The loving thing for me to do at that point is to actually caution him, warn him. There's all the health effects. There's all the mental health effects associated with marijuana. But not only that, the cops turn up, they're going to take a pretty dim view on the fact that you're growing pot in your backyard. Okay. That's why you changed the name? I still haven't forgiven you for that, but I'll get over it. I'll get over it. I will. Once I've turned my new church's leadership team into a POT. They don't know about that yet, but they'll find out. But imagine you're a doctor. And the patient comes to you with a headache. Ah, you look at the scan and there's a tumour. And you go back to them, you smile nice, nothing to worry about. It's just a headache, take a few Panadol. Is that loving? Is that ethical? The Lord Jesus, he knows the reality of judgment. Why? Because he is the judge. He knows the holiness of God that our sin is an offence against. Why? Because he is the second person of the Trinity. He knows it like no other. And here we have Jesus begging us, pointing out, that's the way to avoid it. That's the way to escape judgment. That's the way to escape the consequences you deserve. Go through the narrow gate. Walk the narrow path to life. You don't deserve it, but I've made it possible. As Jesus confronts us with the reality that the wide road that so many walk is going to hell, he confronts us out of love, with compassion and mercy. He warns us of the consequences if we do not accept his offer. He says, enter the gate, walk the path, and you've got to keep to the path. Go back. The narrow road, he tells us, leads to life. It leads to fellowship with the Father. It leads to an eternity of enjoying. As, as we sang this morning, beholding your beauty is all that I long for. That is fulfilled at Christ. That is fulfilled in heaven. That is fulfilled 
when we get to the end. Keep to the path. When you're going on a journey, it's really helpful to have a guide, yes? And what you don't want to find, particularly if you find yourself overseas, is a guide that is actually deliberately going to mislead you. So you're in an unfamiliar territory, maybe you don't even speak the language, uh, and here's someone who's trying to take you for a ride. So I've heard of missionary friends who've uh, found themselves across, and pastor friends found themselves across in Africa, uh, being helpfully guided by some of the locals to be mugged and robbed of pretty much everything that they had. When you're choosing a guide for the path, you need to make sure that you've got a good one. Jesus cautions us. He says, watch out for the false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit. A bad tree cannot bear good fruit. And every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Jesus tells us there will be people coming and saying, I will guide you on this road, and they look like one of us. They look like they belong to the flock, the people of God. They look warm and cuddly and fuzzy, and who wouldn't love this sheep? They turn up, but Jesus says, inwardly, they are ferocious wolves. There to destroy, there to ravage, there to consume for their own benefit. So be careful. How do you spot them? Well, they're false prophets, so their words are wrong. These are the ones who will come and they'll sound like they're preaching the gospel of grace. They'll sound like they're speaking of the Lord Jesus. But they won't speak to you about the narrow gate. They won't speak to you about the necessity of repentance and faith because that's not very popular. They won't speak to you about the offense of your sin. The fact that without the grace of God to us in Christ, we all stand condemned. They will make the gospel, they will make the Christian message just a little bit more palatable, a little bit nicer, a little bit softer, something more that we... We want to hear this. They'll show us that Jesus is just the answer to all your dreams. You don't have to give up anything, and he gives you everything on top of that. There's lots of them around. But Jesus now then puts his finger on the big symptom of the false teacher. He says, not only are their words wrong, they're a false teacher, but their words result in their lives being wrong. Do you go to a thorn bush to pick grapes? Do you go to a thistle to find figs? Jesus uses common agricultural, common sense kind of things. He's like, no. Do you go to a false teacher to find truth? No. Do you see truth? Do you see the nature of the, the plant, the nature of the teacher coming out in their fruit? What is the fruit? Their fruit is obedience. I've really revealed before, uh, Trinity Hills, you're looking for a new senior pastor. What do you expect? 
If you were to draw up a job description, what is your number one criteria? When you pray for a senior pastor, what are you looking for? We can cross out someone not Cameron. That's okay. That's just assumed. Okay. What are you looking for? You're looking first and foremost, not for giftedness, but for godliness. You're looking for someone who is humble under God's word. You're looking for someone who has a practice of regularly spending time in God's word and responding to it with repentance and faith. You're looking for the fruit of obedience. Don't get hung up on style. Don't get hung up on personality. Get hung up on, is this man committed? Committed to growing each and every day in Christ. Will this man teach us from God's word? Because ultimately, all pastors are is guides. But we're not guides saying, follow me, or we shouldn't be. We're guides saying, follow me as I follow Christ. And how do they follow Christ? They follow Christ as Christ guides us by his spirit through his word. So you want a man who is a man of the word. And you want to be men and women, boys and girls of the word yourself. You want to pick the right guide. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He says to us, what do we trust in? As we walk this road, what are we relying upon? Verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? These are men and women, you can see them, coming before Jesus, the king, the judge on the last day, and they're presenting their spiritual CV. You know, like the job interview, what do you think you have to offer us? Jesus wouldn't ask you that question, but if he did, they've, they've got in there in advance because they knew he was going to ask it. Look, Jesus, look at my pedigree. Not only are these people orthodox, they recognize Jesus. They rightly call him Lord. Not only are they orthodox, but they're passionate. They don't say it once, they say it twice. Lord, Lord. They're zealous. They're on fire. There was a lady like this at my last church. She was Latin American with all the zeal and the passion and the fire that came with that culturally. And she was just, to all intents and purposes, just overflowing with joy in the Lord, with passion for Jesus, loved him so much, kicked out her husband found another man, had an affair, got pregnant, moved him in, brought him along to church, was quite affronted when someone said, this is not consistent with saying Christ is Lord. But she was so passionate. She was so zealous. Doesn't cut it. Not only are these people orthodox, not only are they zealous, but they do stuff. Jesus picks three things. We prophesied, we cast out demons, we did many miracles. They've presented their CV. What could we add? 
my mother and father, they brought me along to church. We're part of a Christian family. I've always been at church. I was baptized. Maybe you're as much an Anglican as I am. I was baptized an Anglican. I was confirmed an Anglican. I was ordained an Anglican twice. I've only ever been members of Anglican churches. Lord, surely you'd accept me. You're probably laughing at that anyway. <laughs> but in Lord, in your name, I've had incredible spiritual experiences. I've been to those incredible heavenly places. Lord, in your name, I converted tens, hundreds, thousands. Lord, I've lived a moral, upright life. Jesus' answer, then I will tell them plainly, you haven't got the job. I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Literally, Jesus here is saying, away from me, you doers of lawlessness. You who have no regard for the life of discipleship, the life of allegiance to the king, the life of obedience to the father. Many will say, Lord, Lord, they will not enter, but only those who do the will of the Father who is in heaven. So if we're going to walk this path, if we're going to walk it all the way to the end, if we're going to walk it to the life that Jesus is promising, how do we do it? Because as we've gone through the Sermon on the Mount, we've seen again and again and again, this is beyond our earthly, our human, our flawed, sinful capacity. How do we get to the point where we are both knowing and known by Jesus. Well, we do that. We do that by looking first at our hearts. The life of the kingdom that he's presented before us is a life that is lived from a heart transformed. A life that lives as a thorn bush is changed by God's grace, by his spirit living in us changed into a vine, into a fig tree, so that we no longer bear by nature thorns and thistles and weeds, but by nature we bear fruit of obedience to the glory of the Father. And how is this possible? Well, it's through the death and resurrection of Christ. Jesus has unlocked the gate to the road to life. He did it. He did it through dying on the cross. He did it through his victorious resurrection. He's made it possible for us to walk the road by pouring his spirit out upon us and by his spirit, he and the Father walk with us. That is how Christ has done it. We have to start with the heart. And we don't start and move on. As we saw last week, we go back day after day, ask, seek, knock, go each and every day that we might receive what we need to walk that path. It's a matter of a transformed heart, but it is also a matter of word, a matter of not what we say, but what he says. 
So friends, brothers, sisters, do you love God's word? Do you love God's word? One of the things I loved about what Paul said, not only it shows me a man who's actually reading his Bible, which is brilliant, brilliant, but the excitement, the excitement. I want to read to you a psalm of David, just a couple of verses. I want you to ask, do I love God's word like David loves God's word, like Paul's showed us, like Jesus calls us to? The law of the Lord, Psalm 19, is perfect, refreshing the soul. I get up in the morning, I read God's word, my soul is refreshed. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right. That's the rules. The rules of the Lord, the things that he requires of me, they are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decree of the Lord is firm and all of them are righteous. They are much more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. We are called to have hearts transformed by God's grace that we might love him in his word that we might know him in his word, that we might serve him in obedience to his word. Is that, is that your experience? Is that what you crave, that they are more precious than gold? Because our obedience, our obedience flows from hearts transformed, hearts transfixed, Hearts remade, remade by grace. So it's a matter of the heart, a matter of the word, and a matter of deed. Because you will see it. A heart that is transformed by the love of God, it will be seen. Just look at a couple. Maybe you've seen it with friends when they first meet. Sparks kind of fly, and then there's this, oh, maybe they're even Facebook official, you know, something is, wow. But you see it, all of a sudden, their lives, in a human way, revolve around each other. Their greatest desire is pleasing the other. Is that us with God? That our lives reflect a desire to love him, to honour him, to obey him. I want to ask you this morning, as we wrap up, I know pretty much most of you. I've seen some of you here, some of you have been here at this church longer than I have. Some of you have always been in church. Have you ever entered the narrow gate? Jesus is not speaking to the outsider. He's speaking to the insiders here. He's speaking to the disciples. Have you entered the narrow gate? Do you put up a resume? Jesus accepts me because of all these things. Well, hopefully he's shown you that he doesn't accept you on the basis of any of them. Christ accepts us on the basis of his work for us that is taken by the Spirit and applied in our hearts. 
what Christ made possible, it is the Spirit's work that makes that actual. For some of us, the danger can be is that it lodges in our heads, but it never moves beyond. We know the orthodox answers, but it doesn't transform the life. The fruit, do we see thorns and thistles or the grapes and figs of obedience? Because Christ himself was crowned with thorns so that we might be recultivated as vines of God. So I ask you, have you ever made that choice to enter that gate, to walk that road to that destination, to life? I'm going to put up a prayer and invite you then possible that this morning you've realized that that's not what you've done. You've just sat here, you've heard it all, but you've never actually thought, I am going to accept Christ as Lord. So I'm going to put up a prayer, I'm going to read it through, and then I'm going to pray it after that. This is what I'm going to pray. Father, I know that I have not lived with you at the center of my life. I have not loved you, I have not served you, I have not honoured you. I have served myself and other things that are not God. I am truly sorry and I turn away from them. That's repentance. Please forgive me. I know that I deserve nothing but your judgment and condemnation. But I know that on the cross, Christ took the penalty I deserved. Thank you that by your grace, I can know your love, forgiveness and mercy. Help me by your spirit to live each day for your glory. Amen. Now that's a prayer that I'm going to pray now. And if that's a prayer that you need to pray, can I encourage you to do it? And then come and grab me afterwards. I'd love to talk some more and pray some more with you or talk to the people you've come with. But let's join together. Let's pray. Father, I know that I have not lived with you at the centre of my life. I have not loved you, I have not served you, I have not honoured you, I have served myself and other things that are not God. I am truly sorry and I turn away from them. Please forgive me. I know that I deserve nothing but your judgement and condemnation, but I know that on the cross Christ took the penalty I deserved. Thank you that by your grace I can know your love, forgiveness and mercy. Help me, by your Spirit, to live each day for your glory. Amen. Now, if you've prayed that prayer, or maybe you've made the decision to enter the narrow gate years and years and years ago, know that as you walk the road, Christ walks with you. And at the end, what you will hear is not, depart from me, but well done. Good and faithful servant, come and share your master's happiness. What words to look forward to. Keep walking. Amen.